That's right. Let's lift our voices and praise him, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John, chapter number 5. The Gospel of John, chapter number 5, beginning at verse number 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had now that he had been now a long time in that case. He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. This is one of the most preached about miracles of the Lord. I'm going to preach about it again. What I want to do is I want to take a broad view of what happened in this passage and following over the next chapter or so. And I want to talk to you tonight about the test of revival. Look at somebody and say, I want to pass the test of revival. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me. Help me, God, to be your mouthpiece tonight. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost move here, Lord. God, I'm asking you to touch all the children's classes, touch the youth classes, touch everything that's going on on the campus, but God, I pray that you would move in this sanctuary as well. I pray God move in our online audience tonight. Let your word find good ground and let it bring forth fruit in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. The passage we have before us as a text tells us of the early days of Jesus' public ministry on the earth. He had just worked his first two miracles. 
His first miracle, of course, was the wedding of Cana where he turned water into wine. His second miracle was also performed in Cana, a man whom the Bible referred to as a certain nobleman had a son who was sick and very near death. This man went to Jesus on behalf of his son. Jesus told the man, go thy way, for thy son is made whole. After this miracle, Jesus left Galilee, and the Bible said he went to Jerusalem. He went to a place in Jerusalem known as Bethesda. The word Bethesda means the house of kindness or the house of mercy. In Bethesda is a pool where the Bible said at a certain season, the angel of the Lord troubled the waters. Whoever was first into the water, when the water was moving, the Bible said that the first one was healed of their affliction. Because of the miracles that happened at the pool of Bethesda, people with various ailments would gather at the pool waiting for the troubling of the water. The Bible said in John 5 and 3, in these, in these five porches by the pool, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. The word impotent here means to be weak or to be feeble, to be without strength, to have no power, to be powerless and sick. Blind, of course, means to not have sight. Halt means to be limping or lame, deprived of a foot, maimed in somehow. And to be withered is to be paralyzed. You have here all of these ailments gathered at Bethesda, the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to move. Can you say praise the Lord? We know that the scriptures are specifically speaking in this passage about physical ailments. But we also know that in working for God and trying to help people in their walk with the Lord that we find people who are suffering from spiritual ailments as well. Amen. Why don't we lift our hands and why don't we ask the Lord to have his way here tonight? Amen. I'm going to give us a chance for us to get focused on what God's trying to do here. When we deal with people, there are people that often have spiritual ailments. Much like these at the pool of Bethesda. The impotent. The lame the halt, the maimed. We deal with people who are powerless to deliver themselves. We deal with people that the troubles and cares of life have made them feeble and weak. Yes. 
There are people who are spiritually lame, if you will, limping, struggling to walk with God, dealing with the issues of life. Those who have been maimed or disfigured or injured by the world, by the devil, and by other people. These are those, they are those who are spiritually paralyzed. They've been in the same condition for a long time, unable to move for some time. All gathered at Bethesda, the house of mercy, hoping and waiting for the water to move so they can find their healing. These people in these conditions were apparently normally accompanied by a family member or friend or a group of family and friends that would help them into the waters. Can I tell you tonight that when you have help trying to overcome your issues, you're a blessed person. Not everyone has help. Among those who had help gathered there with this multitude, these people who had a family member, a parent, a child, a sibling, or a friend that was willing to help them into the water. Among that group, with all that help, was at least one person who had no help. They were, for whatever reason, left to deal with their ailment alone. This one particular man had been lame, the Bible said, for 38 years. Perhaps he was alone because he had outlived his parents who would have been there to help him if they could have been. Perhaps he had other issues that caused people to not want to deal with him, leaving him with no one willing to help him into the water. Regardless of the reason, this man had no one to help him, no one who cared if he was made whole, no one willing to take the time to assist him, no one concerned enough with him to stay with him until his miracle came. It's a sad thing when you find someone who for whatever reason is alone in the world. It could have well been this man's fault that he was alone. It could be that he was so difficult to deal with that no one really wanted to take the time to help him. Perhaps because of his difficulties and struggles in life. He had become so embittered that being around him was difficult and people just simply didn't want to be bothered with him. Regardless of why he was alone, he remained without help at the house of mercy. Surrounded by people who were self-absorbed by their own ailments, or the ailments of their loved ones, that they had no time or interest in helping this lonely man who had no help. They had their own issues, or were there specifically for someone in their family or friend group who had issues. I'm not casting blame, per se, on the multitude gathered at the pool 
for being concerned about their own issues. I'm just pointing out tonight that at the house of mercy, everyone there was only concerned with their issues or their family's issues. And no one had the time to be bothered by this one solitary, lonely man. That's when Jesus steps onto the scene. Jesus steps in, but he's not there because he has a need. He's not consumed with his own ailments or issues for he had none. Jesus, for whatever reason, gravitates to the one person in the crowd that's alone. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus is a friend of the lonely. He goes to only one individual out of the multitude and performs a miracle for the one person that no one else was concerned with. I've preached it here a lot. I'll preach about it again. I suspect I'll preach about it until I die. But I believe that Jesus had a soft spot for this man because of his determination. The Bible said in John 5 and 7, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. Jesus asked him in the previous verse, Wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to be healed today? And Jesus, and the man looked at Jesus and said, Sir, I have no man. No one wants to be bothered with me. No one has the time or the energy to deal with me. Now maybe again, Maybe he's so difficult to deal with that nobody wants to put up with him. But that's still not an excuse in the house of mercy for someone to be totally alone. Sir, I have no man that when the troubled, the water is troubled to put me in the pool. But this, is the re- this next phrase is the reason why I believe that Jesus went to him. Because he said, while I am coming. Brother Carson, it's one of my favorite phrases in the entire Bible. Because you have a man that's all alone, that knows that he has almost zero chance of getting to the water before all these people that have family members and friends to throw him in the water. But even though he knows that it's highly unlikely he'll get there, he still is making the effort to get there. While I'm coming, I have very little chance, I have very little hope, but I'm still going to try. And God has a soft spot for people who just refuse to give up no matter what the odds are. I know I can't get there first. I know it's unlikely for me to make it, but I'm still going to try. And Jesus respects people who try. That's why I respect people who they're all by themselves in this world trying to live for God. They don't have a whole family. They don't have four or five generations of Pentecost trying to push them towards God. They're just making their way here by themselves and doing the best they can. They're not perfect. They may be difficult, but God knows that he has a soft spot for people who are all alone in this world. While I'm coming, Jesus respects people who try. Even when the odds are against them. Now look, I'm trying to slow this message down and turn it into a Bible study. 
But, but I, I was telling myself all day, I wish I'd just save this and preach it Sunday night instead. And I'm not saying I won't. Jesus respects people who persevere. When others have given up under lesser obstacles, they keep pressing forward, pushing forward. While I'm coming, another steppeth in before me, and Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. Woo, hallelujah. A miracle happens. But that's not what my message is about. Notice this next phrase, and on the same day was the Sabbath. The same day. The Sabbath had its own set of rules. You'll find in the Bible a reference to what is known as a Sabbath day's journey. On the Sabbath, you were only allowed to travel not more than 2,000 cubits about three-quarters of a mile. And so now, because it's the Sabbath, they're stuck at the pool unless they live within three-quarters of a mile of Bethesda. The law of the Sabbath also said you could do no work. You were not allowed to carry anything more than four cubits or about six feet. And so here you have a man that Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. And so the man, because the man that healed him told him to, he picks up his bed and he carries it. And as soon as he goes over two cubits, the Pharisees are there to tell him, you can't do that. Verse number 10 of John 5, the Jews therefore, the very next verse, the very next verse, the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, it's the Sabbath day, it's not lawful for you to carry your bed. Rather than being thankful that God had healed the man, they were upset that he was carrying his bed on the Sabbath day. They failed to see the supernatural miracle because they were upset that their rules had been broken. Can I tell you something tonight? I'm happy for whatever God's doing in the world today. It may not be exactly what I prefer, but if God's in it, I'm okay with it. There are some amazing revivals happening all around the world right now among denominational people. People in denominations that have been against speaking in tongues are having revivals where they're being filled with the Holy Ghost. They don't have the full truth, but I'm thankful that God's drawing them to Him. God, let it be a start of an awakening for our nation and for our world. Let it be something that stirs this nation because God knows that too many of our churches aren't doing anything. Oh, God, help me, Lord. When the Pharisees found out it was Jesus who had healed the man on the Sabbath and he had told the man to take up his bed and walk, it infuriated them. Can you imagine being so... So, so steeped in your tradition that when God does something, it makes you mad. Notice what they said, John 5 and 16, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him. 
because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. A man lame for 38 years, alone, destitute, existing by begging. Now he's healed, healthy, carrying his bed and walking. And the Jews are persecuting Jesus and want to kill him because he did it on the wrong day of the week. God help us to be seized with compassion for people that need a touch from God. The Jews persecute him. When God moves and touches people, we need to be careful how we react to it. Is this all right? It's not up to us who, how, or when God touches the lonely, the impotent, the lame, the halt, and the blind. It's the house of mercy. That's what's supposed to happen in the house of mercy. We should always be thankful when Jesus is touching anyone. Amen. For the remainder, I'm, I'm, I've got to hurry because I've got a whole chapter to cover. For the remainder of John chapter number 5, Jesus is answering the Pharisees' criticism. He's giving them a scathing rebuke. He's telling them, you wouldn't hear Moses and you won't hear me. And as soon as he finishes his rep reprimand of the Pharisees, chapter 6 starts. He rebukes them and he leaves Jerusalem. In chapter 6 and verse number 1, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Jesus rebukes him and he says, I'm not hanging out with these people anymore. And so he goes across the sea to get away from those who are so critical of others, unthankful for the miracles that he's working. Can I tell you, I believe it bothers Jesus when we take it upon ourselves to judge who, when, and how he moves. If Jesus chooses to touch them, we should just be thankful that he's a friend of the lonely and the lame and the blind and the halt and the hurting. So Jesus leaves Jerusalem, crosses the sea, and in chapter 6 and verse 2, the next verse, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. A wave of people followed Jesus across the sea because they saw how he handled diseased people. They crossed the sea to be near someone who helped the diseased and the lonely. They left Jerusalem, the capital, the bustling city. They left the Pharisees behind to follow a man who cared for people who had real life issues. Hallelujah. When God moves on people who the rest of the religious world rejects, it draws people. Praise God. Can I tell you, the world is turned off by religious people who are not compassionate. Amen. A great multitude followed him across the sea. Because they knew he cared for hurting people. Can I tell you tonight? Our standards are not a hindrance for our church growth. 
Our worship is not a hindrance to church growth. Our lifestyle, our doctrine are not issues to people who are really, truly hungry for God. People will cross the sea to be around people who care about those who hurt. Praise God. having an internal debate on if I should say what I'm thinking about saying. Can I tell you? Can I, I'll say it. I'll go ahead and say it. Most of the people we've won in the last two or three years, we haven't had to argue doctrine with them at all. We don't have to fight over Jesus' name baptism. We don't have to fight over the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we haven't had to fight with any of our brand new people about holiness. Can I tell you the truth? The biggest resistance I get to holiness is from some of us that have been here long enough that we should know better. But we're backsliding on the pew. Going back to stuff that God brought us out of. Did I say that out loud or did I just think it? Our new people aren't fighting holiness. When they came here and they got delivered from drugs and depression and false doctrine and false religion, they were so happy to feel the power of God. If we'd have told them to stand on their head, they'd be bending over somewhere because they found something real. It's when we get cold and carnal and worldly when we start resisting the word of God and the things of God. Amen. I teach two home Bible studies a week to two different groups. And in those groups, I'd never have, not one time do they ever argue about anything. You talk, show them in the word and they just nod their head and say yes. I, I was in the Bible study this evening and I was talking about how happy people are when God touches them. They don't want to argue about stuff. They don't want to argue religion. They know when they got the Holy Ghost in this altar that it turned their life around and they don't want to argue about it. But it's when we get cold and carnal and worldly that we start debating everything all the time. But these people followed Jesus across the sea because they knew he cared about people with diseases. Our standard is not a hindrance to church growth. If we ever have a hindrance, it will be if we get to the point that we don't care about the lonely and the hurting and the disease and the afflicted and the trouble and the addict and the people that don't have anything. That'll be, but the people will cross a sea to get to somebody who really cares. Oh, Jesus. There was a great multitude that followed Jesus over the sea in verse number three. Then just two verses later in verse number five. Notice again, the second time now. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. He looked up and saw this second wave of people who found him in a wilderness. So he starts in Jerusalem, heals one man that nobody else wanted to fool with, heals that one man, argues with the religious people for it, crosses a sea, and a whole multitude follows him across the sea. Then a couple verses later, he's out in a wilderness, and the great company finds him in a wilderness, people will search out people who really care. Yes, 
Got to be careful. We have to be careful how we handle the impotent, the lame, the halt, and the blind. We got to be careful how we handle those who are difficult to deal with or people who are struggling with things in life because how we minister to them may determine if we get the next two waves of revival. Then comes two of the most famous miracles of Jesus' entire ministry. He feeds the multitude with a boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish. Now you notice, I've talked about miracle after miracle. It started out with the water to wine, then it was a nobleman's son, then it was the man lame for 38 years, now he's feeding the multitude with five loaves and two fish, and none of that is the main point of this sermon. He feeds the multitude with five loaves and two fish with 12 baskets left over. He started with one basket of food. And apparently there were 11 empty baskets in the crowd. He refills the one that he emptied himself and then filled the other 11. The multitude was so moved by the miracle that Jesus perceived that they wanted to take him and make him a king. Look at verse 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. When the night came, the disciples got into a ship. Now they're going to go back across the sea. In the night, they're in a terrible storm. And in that storm, Jesus comes walking on the water. He calms the stormy sea. Two of his great miracles, feeding the 5,000 and walking on the water. But those aren't the point of the message tonight. We get really excited about miracles. But the miracle is not the point of the miracle. Jesus does miracles to reach souls. He doesn't do miracles to have something to brag about. Miracles aren't for the church to brag about. Miracles are to prove to the world that Jesus is who he says he is. Amen. I'm almost done. I'm almost done, I think. Jesus walks on the water. He's, and at night, he's in a mountain praying. His disciples get in the ship. He walks on the water, calms the sea. They go to the other side. And in the morning, that multitude that's back on the other side that he left... They realize that Jesus and the disciples aren't there anymore. Look at verse 24 of John 6. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. A third wave of people looking for Jesus. They crossed the sea once. They went into a wilderness. And then they crossed the sea again. Looking for Jesus. Because there is an irresistible draw of compassion. When you make room for people that other people reject, the world will come looking for you. 
It draws people. I'm not getting as many amen as I did on the miracle part. I have a friend who was a deacon in a denominational church. Taught Sunday school for years. A truly good man. Brother Johnny Weaver and I have gone to breakfast with this guy. No telling how many times we've gone to breakfast. It's a good man, a dear friend. He has made a comment to me many times over the last few years. He watches all, he might be watching tonight. I hope he is. He's a, he's a great guy. But he told me himself several times. He said the reason that this church has had revival is because we care about the people that his church think they're too good for. Those aren't my words, are they, Brother Johnny? You've heard him say, those aren't my words, those are his words. Brother Tucker, Brother Tim Tucker has a friend who's an attorney. And he asked Brother Tucker specifically a couple of weeks ago to ask me if I would go to the Pontotoc Jail to visit a young man who's been basically incarcerated since he was 15 years old. The attorney told Brother Tucker, he said, my pastor wouldn't bother to go probably, so I'm going to ask yours if he will. And so we did. Every person that comes through these doors may be a test to see if we can handle the next three waves of revival. Caring for one lonely, lame man brought three separate waves of people looking for Jesus. Had Jesus done what the rest of the multitude did and simply ignored that one lame man, then it's very likely there's no feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish and how many sermons would we have missed out on? If he, if he ignores this man that everyone else ignores, it's highly likely that there's no walking on the water and calming the storm, and then what would we preach about? One act of compassion brought waves of people to Jesus over the next chapter and a half. How we handle the people that come to this church determines if we deserve to have a future revival or not. It's the test of revival. It's the test of if people will seek us out or ignore us like they do most other churches. Churches are closing their doors at an alarming rate. Post-COVID, many churches, a large percentage, are reporting 30, 40, 50% drops in attendance. Many churches closing their doors and never opening again. And yet God has chosen to visit us. 
I don't want to fail the test for our next revival. Help us, God, to be aware of the impotent, the lame, the halt, the blind among us. And help us, God, not to fail the test of revival. As your eyes are closed all over this place, God, everyone that you send, every guest is a trust. Every friend or family member that visits with a church member is a sacred trust that you've given us, an opportunity to show compassion, an opportunity to share your love. God, I pray, Lord, that when people come to the house of mercy, that they will find an act of compassion. For people will cross seas to be in the presence of someone who cares. Move us with compassion for the lost. Move us with compassion for the hurting, the lonely, the suffering, the diseased. Help us, God, to pass the test and to be ready when you send waves of people who are looking for a compassionate Savior. In Jesus' name, why don't you reach your hand to heaven and say, God, help me to pass the test of revival. God, help us to pass the test of revival. Folks, the more the church grows, the more we're going to be tested. The more people come from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all different types of spiritual bondage and brokenness, we're going to be tested. But God, help us to pass the test of revival. Help us, Lord Jesus, to take the broad view and not the narrow view. To understand that the difficulty of this moment is just a small down payment for a great influx and waves of people coming to you. God, touch us and help us. Can you help me pray right now? Can you help me pray that God help us to not fail the test of revival, become stagnant and cold and un uncaring and unmoving? But God, let our hearts be moved with compassion. God, let our spirits be moved with compassion. Help us, oh God, to walk before you in mercy and grace. Freely we've received, freely give. Lord, in the name of Jesus, why don't you stand and lift your hands to heaven. We're closing in just a moment. While your hands are lifted, God, why don't you help me pray that God would help people to find us. Help us to reach out to people, but also there's people out there that they'll go wherever they, wherever they can to be delivered. And this is where they can come to be delivered. This is the house of mercy. Oh, God, help us to pass the test of revival, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, to pass the test 
to see the waves of people that you want to send, oh God. The people out there that are just looking for church that will do more than lip service, that do more than just talk about it, but will sincerely pray and minister to those that are hurting, those that are lonely, those that need deliverance. God, I pray in Jesus' name, help us to be your representative at Bethesda. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise tonight. Amen. Remember men's breakfast, 8 o'clock Sunday morning, church at 10 o'clock and 6.30. God bless you. You are dismissed in the name of